This is the We the People, Our American Story podcast. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every week to hear the remarkable stories of veterans, combat survivors, first responders, and American patriots in their own words. If you are pro-freedom and pro-America, you are in the right place. We the People, Our American Story is the podcast for Americans who fiercely and unapologetically love America. Welcome to the We the People, Our American Story podcast. I am very excited today to have Jonathan Dunn as my guest. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I am thrilled to have you. We met through an acquaintance, Brian Parrish, who has been on my podcast, and he suggested that Jonathan come on, and he has quite a story to share with us. I don't want to postpone this. Let's get started. Jonathan, your story is a little different, or actually quite different from most of the other guests that I have had on the podcast. You didn't grow up in America. Where are you from, Jonathan? I'm from Ireland. I live in Oklahoma um, with my now wife, Tanya, and uh, based in Ireland for all my life for the first 38 years. You're Irish. Yes. The, the Oklahoman accent might fool you. Uh, that's where I live now. What brought you to America? So I've been trying to get a, over here for a very long time. Um, I've wanted to move here legally, and that's the key word there, legally, for over 18 years. Um, I fell in love with your country. I came to Clearwater, Florida at a very young age, maybe about seven or eight to visit extended family and fell in love with your country, fell in love with your people. And then as I grew older, I found the greatest documents ever written by man, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and just fell in love with the the idea of America and trying to understand how you're different, how you're unique, how you're exceptional. And I've just fell in love with it. And then ever since then, I was like, this is where I want to be. I want to help America. I want to spread the idea because especially today the ideas are under attack George Washington Thomas Jefferson you know they've been under attack by everyone and they're called racist evil and I'm just trying to tell your American story that's what I've been doing looking for an opportunity and last year I was blessed to to marry to my the love of my life Tanya and we're now both living in Oklahoma and uh, living the dream you came to America for the first time at seven years old about seven or eight. I can never find, uh, because I, when you're a child and over there, you don't have your own passport, so it's hard to know exact date. But I would have been youngest seven, oldest at a push would have been nine. I traveled to Clearwater, Florida. Your love of America started at a very early age. Do you remember what first sparked your interest or what was it that really caught your attention that you thought, this country is different? Sure. So I can still remember my very first instant of experience in America. If I close my eyes, I visualize getting off a British Airways flight and literally landing in Tampa, Florida. If you can imagine, uh, most of your, maybe your listeners have never been to Ireland, but like when Ireland has a heat wave, we get up to 75. We're in Oklahoma now where I live and like it's been a hundred straight for nearly like 30 days. It's So it's a big difference in culture and in climate. But I remember getting off the plane and back then when I was seven or eight, you know, it wasn't like you had the extended gangways. When you get off the plane, you'd walk downstairs and you'd be on the actual tarmac of an airport. And I just remember this waft of warm air just greeting me. I was like, wow, I've never experienced this before. This is beautiful. This is amazing. And when I looked to my right, when I got off the plane, there was all these palm trees and stuff. And I was like, this is an amazing culture. And so I kind of was like hooked, if you can imagine that seven or eight year old boy. But the first memory I do have was sort of my first interactions with the American people. You know, again, put it in an Irish point of view, like when I when we went to church after church, you'd go to like a, a buffet and like you'd have black, white people, Hispanic people, white people all mingling in Ireland back then. We're very, we were very white, you know, in the 80s and the 90s. So it was just totally difference of a culture. But what really drew me first to make me love your country was your people. You're just different. You're used to be optimistic. You talk to an American and you kind of go, well, you're going to have all these audacious plans. In Ireland, when I grew up, our culture would kind of go, you'll never do that. you know. And they'd tell you all the reasons why you wouldn't be successful. Whereas an American, you tell an American, you know, I've got this plan for a business or I've got this plan for a career. And they kind of go, well, if you work hard enough, yeah, you could totally do it. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. And your people are just more optimistic, can do, work hard. You're just a different breed of people. There is no other people like you. So that's what really got me fall first falling in love with your country. Well, what do you think makes us as Americans be more positive than those that are not American? What is that difference? Um, 
So I, I think it started at the very start of your nation. Like, if you look at your history, I always love saying about your history, you've made the impossible possible. The idea of, if you take the, the founding of Ireland, we were always based in Ireland. There was no great exploring. It's just we were oppressed by the English. Like, you can have some similarities to that. And you, we were oppressed. But then when we got our rule, we just, we stayed in the same country. It was just bloody and messy and awkward. There's very few countries that in the history of the world, and I'm going back right to the Adam and Eve times, that were as founded by a set of people going on a boat and literally traveling across the ocean and looking for that set of freedom. And like, if you look at the mere stats of it, 101 souls boarded that, 50% died by the time they got to America. And then when you reached America, you didn't exactly get to, you know, not all of them to leave the boat because they arrived that winter because of the circumstances of that trip. And then you just had to wait. Like I always approach it from the mentality of, uh, you've been on a delayed flight recently, you know, if you're delayed like 30 minutes or an hour, everyone like goes crazy. Can you imagine being in a boat for all those months crossing the sea to the unexpected, not knowing what you're going to get, not knowing what you're going to see. And then you get there. And then when you actually finally reach land, it's not like, okay, well, now we've reached land, we're home, we're in our comfortable bed and we've got our comfortable living and, you know, we have our lifestyle. Now you've got to like dig the soil and get the soil fertile and like plant your crops. There's that much work involved and there's that much history involved. So it was always a struggle. And then even when you go all the way through to the Revolutionary War, you know, when your founding fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence, it was literally their death warrant. Um, they literally declared war against the superpower of the day. And if you just look at the, the mere details of that battle, you have on one side, you have this new colony that would be later called America looking for their freedom. Many of them didn't have proper clothing, didn't have shoes, didn't have blankets. They didn't all have muskets. They didn't have war training. They were literally peasants and like farmers and just common folk, if you want to use that word. And then you're thinking, well, we're going to take on this British army who are well-trained, well-equipped. Not only does every pretty much man in that army have guns, but they also have cannons. They have the military expertise. You're going to take them on. It, that's a slaughter. Battle is so one-sided, it's never going to happen. But you did it, and then you declared your independence, and you won. And then you went all the way through. And then even when your country was founded, the, you know, you, you look at the stories of the expansion out west. You know, the amount of people who literally got on a horse and a carriage, packed everything they owned up and kind of go, we're going out west for more opportunities. We have no idea what we're going to find. We have no idea what we're going to come across, but we're doing it for an opportunity. And I think that has filtered into your bloodstream, into your heritage, into your people to kind of go, we're always exploring. We're always looking for opportunity. We're always looking for a brighter tomorrow, but we're also willing to work for it because nothing is handed to you. I don't think a lot of Americans understand what a miracle that was for us to even gain our independence. They don't. So one of the things I do, my job is to tell your story as an outsider, um, because your story quite simply is not known. And people will always focus and make that what I just said political, kind of go, well, yeah, well, that's the left for you. The vast majority of people on the right don't know your story either. And it's not a, a political thing. It's an American thing because you've forgotten to tell your story. One of the reasons you're an exceptional nation, and I'm sure we'll get into some of the principles is, but one of the things you did different to other countries, like the, the, when I talk about the revolutions, the way I always categorize them is there's the American Revolution and there's the French Revolution. And obviously the French Revolution happened at the same time. They happened in Ireland, they happened in England, they happened around the world. And what that was, was they based it all about brotherhood. Irish Revolution was about two words, home rule. It was better in Ireland they felt that our revolution to be ruled by an Irishman than an Englishman. I don't think that. I'm like, if I'm going to be ruled by a tyrant, I don't really care what, what nationality they are. They could be English, they could be Dutch. Heck, it could be an American. I'm not going to be happy about a tyrant ruling over me. France was about brotherhood. It's all about collectivism, about, hey, we're all the same, so it's all of us against them. America was the only nation that said, no, one of the principles are based on is e pluribus unum, out of many, one. And simply put, you have lost your unum because everything has become political and left and right and liberal and conservative and Republican and Democrat. We need to get back to a point where we tell the story of America for everyone. And also, don't you think in particular that Americans don't understand what a radical idea it was for the sovereign power to be who? The people. The idea that man can be self-rule and the idea of man is meant to be free is still a un like forget at your founding today in 2022 it's still a revolutionary idea that's not been explored by many people 
everywhere around the world, like coming from a technically, I, I lived in Ireland, so I was technically part of the European Union, and like Europe was on my passport. Even in Europe, like we love to scoff at you Americans, oh, you Americans, and you elected Donald Trump, and what the hell were you thinking, and you're evil, and you're vile, and you're racist. And they look down on you, and they scoff about you, but they don't understand you. This idea of man is actually meant to be free, not only is it unpopular, but it's scoffed upon. This idea that man is supposed to be meant to be free. No, man is meant to be ruled by governments. And what government says is better. And like what they will talk about freedom, the idea of you have a tyrant ruling over you, the fact that you get to vote for your tyrant to enforce your way of life on someone, that's still tyranny. You know, we can dress all tyranny up under many different guises, whether it's a king, an emperor, a grand supreme leader, an ayatollah. It's still tyranny. America's the only country that said, no, you know what? We're going to make our government extremely limited. We're going to do federalism. We're going to do a constitutional republic. And we're going to let man be free. And thank God you did, because as much as Europe and other countries like to scoff at you, you changed the world. I love the people who scoff at America and kind of go, oh, I hate America. Like, you're on your iPhone, you're on your iPad, you're on the Internet. So without America, they don't happen. We just need to tell that story more. Do we have a reputation for being racist? And if so, why? You do have a reputation in certain circles for being an evil racist nation. And the reason for that is, is that, so what happens in Irish news and in English news and around the world is, I'll use a famous one, the English one, the BBC, you know, the, the great institution of the BBC and everyone knows it's even over here on American TV. What they do is they will take the feed from the AP and the report and they change a few words, change a few sentences and then pretty much preach what the AP says. And the AP, as you know, if you've ever read any AP articles, are not exactly friendly to America. But but the racism starts similar to what happened over here. When you, If you opposed Obama, you're automatically racist. And that was just the thing. It was just, you know, anyone who didn't love Obama and taught and believed in the hope and the change and the parting of the waters and he was going to bring about world peace. If you even questioned that, it was like in America, well, you're clearly racist. You just can't handle a black man in power. I think also there's a big push, I'm sure you're aware of, the reparations for slavery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you not find it interesting that a lot of Americans don't understand it's not right, it was evil, Mm -hmm. but literally that this practice of slavery existed everywhere in the world in every country at one time or another? If I can link it partly into the last question as well that you said, is America is the great Satan for a lot of countries. Let's take England and the English media. They use America to talk about slavery. Yeah, if you actually look at English history on slavery and American history on slavery, not America's history on slavery is not good. Don't ever miscompute it. It's really one of your dark times in the Civil War. Compare America to England. America is like the angel in that story because what England did not only did England like want slavery and do slavery they promoted slavery and they used slavery to piss you know your founding fathers against people of color because they knew that was a great end to kind of go well look you fight on our side and against these rebels and these here you know we'll give you your freedom eventually England and other countries don't have to self-reflect on their own past of slavery because we can just blame America because at the end of the day, America is the powerhouse of the world. And it's easier. Like if, if I make up a story about racism in America and I make up a story about racism in Ireland or England or Europe or France or Australia, which story is going to get mainstream news? Which one's going to be talked around the world? Exactly. The story in America. And the thing is, we don't counter the stories. Um, and we don't tell the stories of people like Martin Luther King. We don't tell the story of Frederick Douglass. You know, and this is one of the things that's upsetting me about the dangers of the culture we live in. So there was a great book that everyone read when I was growing up, the story of Booker T. Washington. Over the last year, if you buy a modern-day version, like a 2021 or a 2022 version of Booker T's book, Up From Slavery, there's a note on the insert, this is a fictional story. This person never actually existed. You're rewriting history. He did exist. It's clear he did. But the thing is, it doesn't suit certain people's narrative of America actually been a decent country. There's actually that in the book where it says he was not a person? Yes. It's a fictional story. It's not factual. If you buy a 2021 onwards. Wow. Yes. Why do you want to become an American citizen? Uh, The short answer, because America is the greatest country in the world. And America's had... While it's not been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, you've had the biggest influence on the world for everything that's better. The long answer is because I want to be part of something bigger. And what I mean by bigger is the idea of America. 
you know, we can talk about countries and we can talk about people all day long. If I give speeches and I'll talk about Winston Churchill and what he did in World War II, which not to take away from was amazing. Like his leadership was and resoluteness was incredible and a massive part to eventually winning World War II without the help of the Americans. We can talk about countries and I can talk about America being a country all day long and, and how you change the world. What I really am passionate about is the idea of America. And I want to come here and I'm now here and I'm going to do everything in my power to tell the story of America because this is my belief and it might be a foolish belief. You might think I'm, I'm on acid or I've, I've had too much Guinness last night, but I don't drink, is that when you tell the story of America, it unites everyone. Like I go around speaking and people kind of go, that's a really pro-American message and there's no politics involved. And people unite around the message, the story. They mightn't agree on everything I say and that's cool. But the story of overcoming the odds, the underdog winning and just striving to be better. You didn't always hit it. No one's perfect. But the story of that journey of writing that check, even as Martin Luther King said, we want to talk about the slavery and the racism aspect. You know, the founders wrote a check and then it's time we cash it. So you're always advancing. And just to get back to that and get back to that optimism, the other answer is quite simply put, just looking at the world right now. The world is in chaos. You have a situation in Ukraine. It's affecting everyone. It's affecting all the grain that's made and manufactured there and produced. That's going to lead to poverty. You have the situation in China and Taiwan, if you want to talk about that, where everyone's like, well, that's no big deal. Why do we care about Taiwan? Because Taiwan is the largest chip manufacturer in the world. And if China gets hold of us, you've got major problems with chips, you know, and your iPad. What you're seeing right now is all these leaders and all tyranny advance. You saw during COVID in Ireland, I couldn't go more than three miles from my house and I could leave my house for two reasons one was to exercise and walk the dog and the other one was to go to an essential store to what the government deemed was an essential supply we've seen massive power grabs around the world what needs to be the answer we need to bomb people no what the world needs is a strong America America that I grew up under that said you know what we are always going to be the beacon of light for the world we are going to believe in freedom at all costs freedom is the highest aspiration that we should always strive for and that's what the world needs and that's what my job is to help getting it back to do you think america is strong right now no why um so there's there's two reasons one is your politics um your current president um not getting political doesn't seem to have any idea of what's happening it's not a recent thing like joe biden has been wrong on foreign policy for the the longest time and like if you go back to when he was vice president when he was in the senate before he was the vice president he was wrong on every foreign policy pretty much major decision that you could have so you have that problem the second problem you have is why you're weak is that you don't have many good people on both sides of the aisle like so people will always think well you're always attacking the left i attack the right just as much you have a situation in this country right now where and i say this to people behind the scenes who are political kind of go so you have record gas prices you have record inflation you have the definition of recession been changed before our very eyes. It used to be the historical count was two quarters of negative growth back to back was a recession. They're now questioning that and they're now changing it. Even Wikipedia is changing the stance on that. Well, it's, you know, it's a more debated topic and it needs more discussion. No, it doesn't. That's historically been the thing. If Trump was president, you can guarantee and the same results, it would be in a recession. But you also then have a situation where, where what do the Republicans do? You're likely going to get the House and the Senate in 2022. What are you going to do to ease the pain? So you have bad people on both sides. But this is where the big problem is, is your constitution has no power. Your constitution has been bastardized, destroyed, weakened from within by both sides of the aisle. The idea of Article 2 having no power is a joke. You now think the president is the most powerful person in the world whereas Article 2 says they have no power. Your Congress had 18 clauses of power in Article 1, Section 8. You now pretty much do anything you want under the Constitution. And states are weak, spineless, and they don't stand up to, to D.C. the way they used to or the way the founders envisioned. Well, how do we change that? Who do we need? You don't need anyone. You need your people to start following the Constitution. That's what we need to get back to. People will always think, well, how do you solve America? And I always give people an example. And I'm just using one popular figure. I'm not supporting this person, but just an example. He's well-liked. I'm like, you don't have much hope under Biden right now, right? Yeah. Okay, can you imagine if you had 10 states down south or pick any really Republican, conservative, traditional, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi. Can you imagine how you'd feel if you had 10 Ron DeSantis as governor? Your mood would change, right? Yes. 
We need to get back to the state's been the key thing. We need to raise up governors to kind of go, DC, no, that's not your job. That's not constitutional. And if it gets to a hostile point of view, well, when your laws come to us, it's not followed in our states. Why? Because we follow the Constitution, and the Constitution says D.C. and the federal government does not have that power. And that's what we need to get back to. And if we don't find the right leaders, then we need to replace leaders and get new ones. But we do need to get away from this point of view of one leader will save us. There's a biblical reason why we need to do that if you want to discuss that. I don't think that people understand the power that we have if we use our voices and everyone is afraid to. We've come to a point where if you say anything, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a xenophobe, people are afraid to say anything for retribution. Yeah, we need to do need to inspire people to speak up, but we also need to stand with people. So this is the problem that I see with people. So I, again, you know, in the public eye, because I'm in the public eye and I, I do have contacts on all sides. And they'll kind of go, so so-and-so said something. And like, do you agree with that statement? Yes. Well, why don't you stand and support them? Because I disagree with them politically. I disagree with them on Trump. I disagree with them on the Republican Party. And it's like, we need to get over these little petty squabbles that we can have. I can stand with someone. Like if, they, if someone that I dislike says something unconstitutional on free speech, I'll be like, I stand with you. You're 100% right. I'll link arms with you. You might be wrong on health care, on the Constitution, on the Second Amendment, on the Fourth Amendment. But on this issue, we're united and we need to get back to those discussions. But people are very uncomfortable doing that because, well, if I support them, then that means I'm supporting them on every other position. No, it doesn't. It just means on that issue, we're united and we need to stand together. But we also need to have encouraging other people because I see a lot of people kind of going, so a conversation I've had a lot over the last four months, and I get it because I'm living here. I have no hope. I'm like, we need to encourage other people to kind of go, well, you know, I have no hope right now, so you're going to give me some. And hopefully next week I have some. And then if you're struggling, I'll give you some. And that we support each other and we encourage other. Because if we don't act, this country is over. This world is over. But if we understand the story of America, of everything we've overcome as Americans, just think of everything. I just spoke to you about the Revolutionary War, about slavery. It's obviously hard to get an exact number, but around 900,000 people died in your civil war. You don't think you could have overcome that, but you did. Look at all the other things. You're the country that went to the moon. You're the country that explored everything from the swamp to the stars. If you actually read American history, this is, should be a cakewalk. This is simple. We just need to come back together, find our unum, to get rid of the political divides. Is it going to be easy? No. But compared to fighting a war against the British in 1776, this is a cakewalk. Compared to storming the beaches of Normandy and World War II fighting Nazism in World War II from 1939 to 1945, this is easy. We just need to get back talking to each other. Uh, the question is, will we do it? Have you seen uh, What is a Woman? Yes. What did you think about that? Because I often wonder if a lot of other countries are laughing at us because it is so out of hand. It was very, very good. It, it was a bit... I hate using this saying because it's used against me a lot, preaching to the choir. I don't know of anyone watching that who would be really skeptical who would have been converted. Exactly. Um, but it was very good. It did make the point of what needs to be made. But this is a problem that we have that we need to start discussing. We're living this amazing time. Like if you look at just take a step back from the politics, we're literally living in times where we're talking about like, and I'm just going to focus in on one man, Elon Musk. We're talking about going to Mars, right? That's incredible thing. The idea that we're going to populate Mars, will he be successful? Don't know. We're talking about the idea of traditional media, like the company I work for, The Blaze. Like if you had said to people 10 years ago that what we're going to do is we're going to set up this company. Okay, what's it going to do? It's going to have lots of content. It's going to have news. It's going to have analysis. Okay, where is it going to be on? On your phone and your tablet. Okay, great. But where else is it going to be on? That's going to be the primary market. You would have said you're insane. But thank God Glenn Beck was like, no, I believe this is the future. Traditional TV is dead. You have all these conversations. We're talking about, look at all these new iPhones that we have. All the technology we have. We have all this advancement. And yet we can't talk about what is a woman? Like a simple question that for 5,000 years, we just simply answered, you know, 20 years ago, if you said, what was a woman? You probably gave some answer, you know, some of it. Remember the whole scene out of kindergarten cop, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. <laughs> Do you remember that thing? Of course. That was simple, right? That mm -hmm. might be the sarcastic answer you get, or you might get a more scientific answer, you know, XY chromosome and X, uh, XX chromosome. Well, you might get more scientific, but we, you'd have an answer. Whereas now in 2022, as much as we're developing, we're going backwards to the point where I'll, well, it's whatever you feel like a woman is. And it's like, mm, 
I don't think so. We need to, if I may quote the left, we need to get back to science. How did that happen though? Because I swear, even 10 years ago, like I couldn't even dream this. I couldn't even fathom that this is the point that we're at. And I try to think, how did this happen? It's something my kids grapple with. My son works in a movie theater. He's 17 and he has to be very careful about how he's misgendered a few people. That's Mm -hmm. absolutely crazy to me. So there's a philosophical reason this was always going to happen. And the reason is, again, this is another reason why America was an exceptional nation. You see, every other nation at their founding did what they felt was right or what was popular. America was the only country that said, we're not going to focus on what's popular, about what's winning, what's suitable. We're going to focus on doing the right thing. They declared these principles through the Bible. And the reason Thomas Jefferson was able to say, we hold these truths self-evident, was because they were preached from a pulpit, and they were self-evident at the time. All men are created equal, endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights. Every other country goes along the lines of, well, what do we think right now? What do we feel? Do we think the two men should be able to get married? No? Okay, cool. We'll ask you in a year. Well, do you think it is now? Well, maybe. And then eventually it goes, yes, it's what you feel. And it's not based on science. It's not based on principle. It's not based on anything but our own opinion, whether, and that might be a researched opinion, that might be a really well-researched opinion, or it might be just a feeling on, well, this is how I feel. This is what I think is popular. And this is what I think is right. And you don't have to back it up. That's what's happened in the world today. America has got influenced by the rest of the world where, well, what do we feel is right? Well, what do I think? And you don't have to back it up. So we can say, well, I think, I, I think I'm a woman. You know, well, okay. And what are you basing it on? Nothing. I just, you know, I'm not Jonathan Dunn anymore. I'm Joanna Dunn. And if you don't accept me, then you're a bigot and you're a hater. And that's the problem that we have. We need to get back to some line of principles. Now, if you want to be called Joanna, should you be discriminated against? Should you be treated differently under your constitutional rights? No, that's discrimination. But, you know, should you be able to say, well, if you don't call me Joanna, I can call you every other name under the sun and saying to your 17-year-old son, you're a bigot, you're a hater, and you've misgendered me, and you're, you're part of the problem. No, you shouldn't do that either. We've kind of already touched on this, but I will ask again. What do you think Americans don't understand about the greatness of America? And I bet there's a lot there to unpack. You don't know your story. You don't know the the story of your country. You might know the taglines, you know, the script, like just take one story, the the Mayflower. You know, you might know the difference, but you don't know the story prior to the Mayflower. So there's this great debate in your country. I've been a part of it. It's like, you know, when was America founded? There's obviously the the left attack on America, which says it's the 1619 Project. There was a book written on it, and then obviously there's more people who say 1620 when you got here with the Mayfleur. The actual answer is about early 1600s, and it involves a different country to America because you don't know the history. So if I may just share the story, how you started at the 1600s and not 1619 and 1620 was you had a bunch of Englishmen living in England, and they had a debate. And the debate was the future of religious freedom in the country. They all agreed that it was corrupt. It was like, if I may use Donald Trump's language, they all agreed the church was a swamp. They just disagreed on how they fixed it. One side said what we need to do is stay and reform it from within. And the other side said, this is so corrupt, you're idolizing false gods, false prophets, false everything. You make the king too powerful. It's never going to be, no matter what you do, you're never going to be successful. We want out of here. And they wanted religious freedom. And they went to a place called Leyland Holland. And they found religious freedom. They could practice whatever they wanted, but what did they come across? They came across a problem. They went, well, you know what? Um, This is a more cosmopolitan town where we can worship and we can praise and do our worship and our church and our religion is the way we want. It's a very cosmopolitan town. And our young boys are being led astray because there's pretty young girls and they're not moral and upstanding and they're being led astray and they're going down this bad behavior. And they went, you know what? We can't have this. And they get back on the boat despite finding religious freedom and they go back to England. The other problem they found was that in Holland back then, they had a guild system, which is kind of like a union system, and they would never, ever progress and get like an upstanding of living, a rags to riches type story. They'd always be at a certain level, so they'd never be able to build a better future for their offspring. So they went back to England. Now, they could have took their tail between their legs and went, you know what? You're right. We tried. We left. It didn't work. Forgive us, and let's work and reform England from within. They didn't. They went, we still disagree with you. It's never going to be reformed. We need to go elsewhere. And they got on the Mayflower. And here's the story about the Mayflower not many people know. 
there was two ships that left England. There was the Mayfair and the Speedwell. Imagine going through all of that in Holland, all your ancestors. Then you get on the Mayfair kind of going, I'm going to sign myself up for this journey to America, to the brave new world, to get religious freedom. And you get past Ireland, you get into the Atlantic Ocean, and the little boat, the Speedwell, starts taking on water. And it's clear this isn't going to make the journey to America. And you got to go all the way back to England. These are religious people. I always say, how tempting would it have been to believe that that's a sign from God? You know what? This is not your time. This is not the journey for you to take. You need to stay here. But they didn't. They all aboard the Mayflower, and they made that journey. There are so many steps that could have happened. They could have settled in Mayland Hall and going, you know what? This is the best we're going to have. They didn't. They could have went back to England and said, you know what? We'll work with the English people and try and reform within. They didn't. They could have went back after the Mayflower and the Speed started taking on water. They didn't. These are all the steps that led to you. Your founders were principled men. The pilgrims that first went to America, the first stepped on American soil, knew what they were doing. They were never going to stop striving for that American dream. Imagine if we had 10% of that courage today as a society, of that resoluteness, of that determination. If we can install that by telling that story, a lot of people might just hear that story and kind of go, you know what? I'm damn proud to be an American. I'm going to start living up to my forefathers' example. Are you a devoted student of American history? Are you studying all the time? Uh, American history, no. So my kind of, and I use these words very loosely, expertise is in your founding. Um, after your founding, my history level is probably possible at best. Okay. But the idea of America is my passion. That's why I'm always, like, I'm reading all the time about different things. But, yeah, I'm always constantly evolving and, and learning these stories. So uh, hopefully I get to a point where I'm comfortable enough with the idea that I'll eventually, because one of the things I would love to do is study your civil war. Because Lincoln is a fascinating character. I've actually been reading a bit of Lincoln lately. There's a lot of stories in there that I think are very apt for today. You know, speaking of Abraham Lincoln, I think this is how screwed up we are here in America, is I have a friend and I can't remember the conversation that we had, but it ended up with the point that she literally could not tell me if Abraham Lincoln was a good man or not. That blew me out of the water. I can understand why you question whether he was a good president or not, because that is the, a debate that does need to be had. But a good man, I don't think there's any doubt about. Let's talk about the founding then, because that's where your expertise lies. Sure. The founding fathers get a lot of flack. You've already mentioned that. Mm -hmm. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams. Here they are setting up this country where all men are created equal. I believe like you that these are inspired men. I believe that they were good men. Do I believe they were perfect? No. Do I believe that they were trying to change a whole system of thought? Yes. But they were slave owners. How do you coincide those two things? How can you put them together and be okay? Like obviously the most famous, and I use these words very loosely, the famous sort of white supremacist of our day is probably David Duke. He's a name that everyone knows. And I always kind of go, imagine you met David Duke. And then you had to say to him, I want you to say the following words very seriously. And I want you to mean them. All men are created equal. Is there any chance David Duke can do that? No. And mean it? No. So there's the first example. Um, the second example is what they did, they, how they operated. You know, we need to distinguish that man inherently as a, as a whole and as individuals are not perfect. So, you know, it, just because someone doesn't live the most ideal life, does that discredit the ideas that they did? And I say this about any American. The idea that, you know, like if I have a great idea, think of all the people who became in your country, JFK, who said you'd go to the moon in 1963, people like um, Henry Ford, um, you know, doing the Model T, Elon Musk going to Mars. Just because if you like their ideas, does that mean they are a perfect person? No, we're all fallible. We all make mistakes. So we need to separate the, the idea and the person. Now, the problem back then was Washington and, and Mount Vernon and Thomas Jefferson and Monticello. There was laws prohibiting that they would, if they, they had to meet certain criteria, they had to be out of debt, they, you know, and different things, or they could only free the slaves on their passing. And does that defend them? No. Are they wrong to hold slaves? Absolutely. I don't know anyone who says, well, George Washington is right to hold slaves or Thomas Jefferson was right to hold slaves. I don't know anyone, and I've met a lot of different people, 
um, that have said that. What they've said is we can focus on the idea and then understand their shortcomings as a man. And that's what we need to get back to and understanding that. And we talk about that throughout history. Churchill, he's actually my favorite example from a European point of view. Um, because, you know, I use Churchill because you look at what he did in World War II. The guy is nothing short of a hero. Like his speeches, even though he wasn't a good speaker, his speeches were, I believe, divinely inspired. Without Churchill, there is no doubt the Allies fall and World War II is lost. However, if you look at Churchill's record in India, it's clear the guy had major issues with the Indian people. I don't like saying they're racist unless I know them or unless there's clear evidence. But you can make a real good case he was racist. Does that mean, does that dilute what he did in World War II? For me, it doesn't. It means that they're co we're complex characters with complex emotions, and we live in tricky times at all times. So you just have to kind of go, that's right, that's wrong, and just get away from the, the absolutes. I also think that we need to remember that at that time, they were trying to put together a very fragile union. Yes. And that's the reason. So I actually have um, a copies, uh, photographs, and my boss, Glenn Beck, has the first draft of, or one of the first drafts, handwritten by Thomas Jefferson, of the Declaration of Independence, where he actually speaks about um, the Christian king putting slavery forth and defending. And it's like, this is wrong. And, it, and if you read that first draft of the Declaration of Independence, it's clear Jefferson was, not only was he against slavery, he found it morally disgusting and repugnant. Now, why did that not make it into the, the actual Declaration of Independence that was signed? Because, as you said, it was a fragile union. There were, you would have only probably had 11 of the 13 colonies agree to the Declaration of Independence if that was included, and that's at best. And they kind of said they did have this discussion, and there's notes on it, where they basically said, we have two choices. We can either have a weakened union as weakened colonies to take on this massive superpower of the day and fight against slavery, or what we can do is not include a book, you know, include the writing of all men are created equal. That's pretty, pretty absolute. There's no, well, all men are created equal can mean slavery is okay. And basically kind of go unite the union, get all 13 colonies together, win this war against the British. And after we beat them, then we can deal with it. Did it now, again, you can look back in hindsight and kind of go, did it take too long to deal with? There's not, a, again, not a person I would say it didn't take too long. It took way too long. But it's always striving for it. it. The question isn't whether the mission is good. You can question whether the sincerity or how quickly you do things or how effective your mission is. But the mission is flawless. The idea that all men are created equal. Um, please God, we will live in an environment where that is actually true. Do you believe that there is widespread racism in America? Do you believe that it is built into our institutions, as some people claim? Look, there's always going to be racism. If you need to know one thing from history, it's man is, as much as amazing man is as a whole, we also are creatures on, that are barbaric. And we will never stop finding ways to demean other people. Uh, now, we might live in a time where people like Great Dream is that we live in a racist society. Would I love to live in a racist society where color, we judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin? Yes. Will we live in it? No, because even if we stop distinguishing about race, we'll find other reasons to demean people, whether that's class, whether that's gender, whether that's society, you know, whether you live in a city or the country, whether it's your occupation, whether you went to school. By the way, these are openly done in Europe. We have a class system in Europe, which is something I hate that you've adopted over here. Well, you're only lower class. You've known nothing about us. I'm upper class. You know, I only went to like the, the public university, you know, the, like the, the community college. Well, I got my degree in Harvard, so I'm automatically better than you. We'll always find reasons to put other people down. That's just man's own fallibility and stupidity. But the thing about racism, is it systematic? I don't think it is. I think there are racist people out there on all sides. I've met some very racist white people. I have nothing to do with them. Likewise, I've also met some very racist black people. I've met some racist Hispanics as well. Uh, are they the vast majority of people I've met? No, they're in the very much in the minority. Is it baked into the system? That's a question you have to answer. You know, I heard a, a fascinating story of problem with affirmative action and, you know, the, the college standards of who gets into college. Yeah, I heard a, a massive conversation. And, you know, and the problem is this guy, if this conversation ever gets out not national, this guy is going to be pillared. But he raised the question of he said, I think it was a year ago or maybe it was two years ago. He said there was two students and they had, went to the same school and they had the identical SAT scores and they both wanted the same position in college. They both wanted to be a doctor and they wanted to go to medical school. One was black and one was Hispanic. Who got the place in college? Wow, I don't know who. The black person. Yes. 
Here's the problem. Everyone would look at that and kind of go, okay, that's fine. The problem was when you actually did dig into the story, and he, this person was raising this conversation as an example of, we need to have these conversations because we are discriminating against certain people, was the black person came from a two-parent family. Father was a surgeon, his grandfather was a doctor, and his mother was a nurse. The Hispanic came from a one-parent family who was a first-generation American and was poverty-stricken. But yet the black person, because he was black, got the position. Now, just so I'm clear on this, has there been a reason to put these types of laws in the place? You look at the history 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you can make that as an argument, and there's lots of merits to it. But we live in a different world now. And I think what we need to get back to is a point where we look at the whole story. If you're going to sort of judge it on poverty or on income level or something, that we do it on that, but not just necessarily on race. Because there are stories where, you know, in that case, the Hispanic person got punished because of the laws favoring the black person. But again, there's reasons for this. What we need to get back to on this issue and every other issue is we need to get back to having a discussion. Because I know you know, by me just sharing that story, there are people who could take that story 10 different ways and paint us both as bad people for having even discussing it. And they could twist it and they could malign the story and they could take it out of context. We need to get back to actually discussing, kind of going, so what's the way forward? Is the way forward on race? Is it on income? Is it on two-parent families? Is it one-parent family? I don't have the answers. I'm man enough to say this. But we need to start having a discussion about how we go forward and build the best nation forward. Do you follow Thomas Sowell? I love him. He's amazing. He's brilliant, isn't he? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I will say this, that, you know, and you'll appreciate this. He's a phenomenon in the sense of he is the only person I know in the media. And he obviously he doesn't write his column anymore. But he was the only person who could write. And his literally his article title would be my thoughts and would get like loads and loads of hits. Can you imagine like if me and you put out my thoughts or the vast majority in our industry put out my thoughts, no one's going to care. They're just to make a hook title. On, it's on American immigration or it's on the debt. It's on Biden or something. We have to come up with fancy titles. He just goes, my thoughts. And he wrote a series of columns a couple of years ago. And I was so jealous. He was my thoughts. And I was like, he's, his next week's title was my thoughts part two. And I just went, now you're pushing it. And then the third week was my thoughts part three. And I just went, how amazing would it be just to be so respected that you can do this? <laughs> yeah, he is completely amazing. The amazing thing about him was he was a Marxist. I know that. I watched a documentary yeah. on him and it's, it's quite a journey that he had. Yes, it's amazing. He's the, the prototype. Uh, and, you know, like, and also he's the temperament of someone who would make an amazing president. Yeah, I agree. I am curious how you feel about what's going on our southern border. Absolutely horrible. Um, so here's an issue, prime example. We just spoke two seconds ago about we need to start having conversations. On the southern border, let's deal with the southern border and then we can talk about immigration if you want. This idea that you need open borders as a fair policy is not fair. It's also not fair to the immigrant. Just think of an average day uh, down south. It's 110 degrees. With humidity, it might be 112. And then you want that person to cross the border in that heat without water. It's not like there's a 7-Eleven, like you walk a mile and there's a 7-Eleven. You kind of go, oh, there's a 7-Eleven. We'll take more water on and, and do it. And then we've got, you know, another 7-Eleven or a Walmart. You've got to walk through all this desert without any stop. That's the heat aspect. You're also putting them in the hands of coyotes, of the drug cartels. And then basically saying, if they get you across and you get legally, you owe us. And then the third thing is they have to cash in their whole money to make the trip to that. How is that fair or compassionate or loving or any other of those titles? The other thing is it hurts against people like me. You know, the idea that someone like me, and I, I'm trying to get past my bitterness, but the idea that I waited 18 years in line and knowing that people would always tell me, why don't you just cross the southern border? Well, why don't you just do that? You're in the country straight away because I do things the right way. But you're a fool. Look at all the governments we've had in the last 18 years. They all said, come in. They act out of love. They're compassionate. If you do it, you survive. You're good. You're, you're golden. You get all these benefits. So it, it's wrong. We need to have a secure border. If you want to make immigration, like even to people who want to make immigration unlimited, that anyone who wants to come into America, fine. I disagree. I think that's insanity. However, if you do, then at least do it legally, where you kind of have to come in and kind of go, hey, I'm now coming to live here. Okay, cool. Off you go. And that you kind of have, well, this is your name. This is your address and different things. And that you register for a social security number so you can do things legal. If that's your standard criteria, fine. But at least have a position. Don't put them in the hands of the cartel. Don't make them make that horrific, arduous walk. And by the way, in the winter, it's the same. 
well, people might say what I just said about the 110 degree heat down on the border. Well, then in winter, it gets really, really cold at night. It gets down to like zero. Do you think that's fair to put them in that position? Again, and you need food, you need nutrition. So we need to get back and have this discussion. And if we speak about uh, border security and we talk about European countries, I mean, our border is just a free-for-all, isn't it? Do people understand that most countries have border security? Why do they think that we are racist by having a secure border? Where does that come from? It blows my mind. Media. The media are great at telling a story. Uh, And you got to understand that the vast majority of media in your country do not like your country. But also, they they live in a bubble. Dana Lash wrote a book many years ago. I'm dreadful at timing. It might be three, four years ago. It might be more. And it is very true. The premise was flyover country. That basically you have these elite politicians. The only time they ever go to Iowa, you know, and the Iowa State Fair is when they're running for president. And there is a lot of disconnect through that. Like I see people, and even people on the more right side of things, they're not conservative or constitutional, but they may be more Republican. They live in the same bubbles as well. They live in D.C. They live in New York. They live in California. They live maybe down in Miami or something like that. They just, they live in a bubble. And they don't experience an Independence Day on a lake where I experienced it this year with about 100 people down in Oklahoma. Just don't understand how we live. And that's the thing you need to understand. They don't understand it. They don't even try to understand it. They, they also have this arrogance that they know better and that their moral obligation is to lecture the American people because you're so stupid and they're so smart because they went to the fancy institutions and they know better than you. And then they just tell this story about America's racist, America's violent. Because when they say Americans, they mean people like you and me and people down south and people who disagree with them. Even Hollywood likes to educate us, which I do not get at all. Yes, they do. Because that's where the money is. This is a problem with the people who like freedom is they're not willing to put their money where their mouth is you know the 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 sad thing is i'm writing a book at the minute and i'll have to do interviews and some hopefully people will buy it and then i can invest in another speaking tour they write a book and even if it's crap and it doesn't make any sense george soros and all his groups and stuff will buy like a hundred thousand of them and they'll make some good money and then they'll go speak and then you got people like hillary clinton giving a speech for half a million dollars like i don't care who you are can you imagine anyone giving a speech worth half a million dollars like that wouldn't be one fancy <laughs> speech quite a speech. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for a half a million dollars i expect it i don't know like the, the, the theory of relativity to be this yeah or something like some great mystery like i can't imagine that's some pressure um but you know that's the way that upper world operates because the thing you need to understand is there's this danger with freedom and this is the thing people need to understand more in america is you've got to understand believe in real freedom like family principles there's an uncomfortable truth about that that if you leave people alone, if you believe in all men are created equal and we all we have is extremely limited government, is people will do what they want and people will say what they want. And I don't like that because there's a chance you might say or do something I don't like. It might be immoral, it might be legal, but it might be just something you won't like. That's the problem. That's the danger with it. And if you're in a business point of view, you look at it, if you can take out your competition through rules and regulations, which you have done very successfully in this country, why wouldn't you do it? They always give the example of, if you think of a business, if you're going to have this fancy business to sell phones or to sell banks, mortgages and loans and stuff, or whatever product it is, you think the first person you would have to hire is a manager, a manufacturer, you know, a, a person who was a worker. It's not. that In modern America, that's not the first person you hire. The first person you hire is the compliance officer to tell you what you legally can do and what products you can use and what products you can't use and when you can drive and when you can't drive. You need to be all thought in within the laws. And that's just wrong. And we need to get back to innovation and creativity that America was known for. Um, and that's the problem. And we need to get away from that. We need to protect people because um, that is the government's job in this country to protect your rights and to protect your freedom. You know, you don't want everyone doing anything they want and screwing people, but you need to get back to innovation and creativity and unleash people and say, whatever you want to do, if you've got this great product or idea and it's within the law, go for it. I know that you have a lot of admiration, at least this is what I understand, for George Washington and Ronald Reagan. Yes. Why? Uh, so let's take George Washington first. George Washington, in my opinion, was the greatest founding father. He the greatest really president. Definitely agree with that. It's nice actually to hear someone else say that because normally I say that and people go, "Oh, I don't know about that." They always um, want to say yeah, George Abraham Washington, Lincoln, don't they? But he came in not knowing what the presidential office was about. He invented the presidential yeah. office. 
He did. But also, like, he was the man America needed, that steady hand, that non-confrontational hand, that very studious hand who would kind of think first and then talk, whereas, you know, we're the exact opposite as a coach. And we think we talk first and then think later and never say no, we're wrong and stuff. So um, you do have that. Stories about George Washington I always find amazing. You know, the, the idea that he, this guy could have been king not once but twice and decided not to take it. Um, and he he was just so humble. And, you know, like the idea of, you know, just going to war and um, when he didn't have to, where he could have just said, you know what, I, I want freedom as much as everyone else. I want the best for people. But, you know, this war, I, I just want to sit it out with Martha, you know, in Mount Vernon and just have a nice life. He always wanted to go back yes. to Mount Vernon, didn't he? Oh, he always did. No, I'm talking about at the revolution, you know, right. when he became general. Right. Um, he could have easily just sat it out, but he didn't. And that was the other thing. Like, he always had... It seems, again, we've gone 180 from what your founding was to what we are today in the sense of he always wanted to go back to Mount Vernon. He felt very uncomfortable, you know, in the White House and different things and, and around power. And he felt very uncomfortable in Philadelphia. But he was always the guy that was actually the best leader in the sense of he's the guy who would make a good leader today in the sense of he always had that toe to go back home or where he called home. But people, because of that, always wanted him around and his leadership was invaluable. But also the stories that I just heard, like the, the resoluteness of the man, like because, you know, it's easy to look back on the Revolutionary War and kind of go, well, it's July 4th, 1776, which is not true. It was actually July 2nd, but that's a different quirk of history. You know, you declared your independence, you went off and fought the British in war and you won. And then America became this great country and you changed the world. It wasn't that simple. For the first few months of that war, George Washington, pretty much all he did was draw battle plans go into engage the British, lose and then retreat, re-engage, lose and retreat. But he never at any point kind of went, you know what, uh, this is, I can't do this. I'm not the man to leave the job or to go back home to Marta. He just was so resolute and I'm, I'm all in on this cause. Um, and that's one of the reasons I just love the man. And just the more I find out about him, the way he acted, the way he treated people, just this idea of I'm, I'm going to find this, I'm going to research the positions and, and be very studious of history and look for what other great people have done. While maybe while he was great himself, never thought he was great. He always just said, I'm going to look to what other great people have said and just kind of didn't get caught up in his own ambition or his own sort of ego or his own how he looked. He just wanted wanted to do the right thing and and that's what he put an emphasis on and I think that's why I remember him fondly as well Ronald Reagan because he was the great storyteller yes like Ronald Reagan was a very good president but he did do things unconstitutional which every president bar Washington has done but he was very the storyteller and the one thing I always liked about him which I wish you'd get back to in certain conflicts was with the way he dealt with Russia he was always clear about how much he hated communism and the Russian government, but he always at every opportunity would speak up the Russian people, making that clear divide. Because, you know, if you look at people today, you look at any war today, and it's kind of like, you know, well, they're bad. If you look at Russia today, it just Russia's bad. And it's, we just throw these blanket statements out, even though it's Putin that's bad and the government is bad and the KGB is bad. But we just look at Russia and Ukraine and kind of go, well, I'm on Ukrainian side. Russia's a bad actor. And it's like, we don't make that distinction anymore between the people and the, the government. And I think that as someone who lived in Ireland, I really appreciate that because I would look at myself and the Irish government and kind of go, I hate the Irish government. I, I disagree with everything they pretty much do, but like I'm a freedom loving person and I'm an individual. So make that clear distinction. And Reagan always got that. And I always, as that Irish person, appreciate that. And I appreciate it more the world we live in. You know, I don't know if you've heard this before. Perhaps you have since you've studied Washington and the founding fathers, one of the things that they said, which I think you will find very interesting, is that this constitution, this government could only work with a special people in a special place. There's many versions of that, that, that saying. Yeah, absolutely. it's absolutely true. Where you get into opinion on America is, I believe America is that kind of special place. Like Reagan always spoke about this, and I've always agreed with it even before I heard Reagan say it was, that you know, America was this special land that was always going to be blessed, but it was put in a faraway part of the world that was not explored for a very long time for a reason, that because the world would go so tyrannical 
that there was always a place that they could run to that had yet to be discovered and that eventually became America. And I believe that. Um, I believe that with every failing of my being, that you are a divine providence relation, that God did bless you, but he blessed you because you put him in his place, that he was the top, he was the head, but also that, you know, you tried to do things the right way, not because it was popular or because politically expedient for me to act this way. It was because it was morally right. Um, and I, I firmly believe that. What does poverty of hope and opportunity mean? One of the things we do as a society today is we make everything materialistic. Everything is just materialistic. So when I say, give me a definition of poverty, because I used to work around poor people and volunteer around poor people, and everyone kind of go, well, poverty is when there's all these definitions, depending on a charity involved or a country involved. They kind of go, well, poverty, you know, you can't put food on the table, you can't pay your electricity bill. In Ireland, one of the standards of poverty of the organization I work for is if you're, you couldn't afford to buy your kid an Xbox. I'm not joking. That was actually one of the, the things that, you know, criteria because everyone has an Xbox today. So therefore you should have an Xbox. But we all focus in on the, the materialistic of it. And I think what we have right now is we do have a poverty of hope around the world in that we are literally living in times where the tradition of you as a parent always had the confidence that your kids would be better off and have more opportunities than you did. And then that would continue on. We now are living in a time where a lot of people feel that the, it's kind of the best times are over, America's over, and this is not just an American thing, this is a worldwide thing, where, you know what, my kids won't have the same opportunities I did, that we're going to go through a dark period, and that hope is missing, but also that poverty of opportunity, where the idea of the American dream was, you're all created equal, and you have certain indelible rights, one is that you would pursue the, the right to pursue your happiness, that you can do anything you want. Um, we don't have that anymore. We're not going to have much opportunities and we're not going to have the opportunity to prosper because the elite are so powerful, because the big businesses are so powerful with the lobbyists and with the government, that you do have things like the Great Reset, which are major threats to, to the world right now. And these are unelected people, so they're just going to do everything they want without access or to be held accountability at the ballot box and that you don't have the same opportunities. And we have that poverty and we need to identify it as a poverty and kind of address it and then have have a conversation about okay how do we address and how do we bring back hope and opportunity to people for that upward mobility and to get people believing that tomorrow can be a brighter tomorrow and do you believe that the greatest threat to america is from within not from without i believe the greatest threat to america is you can't clearly distinguish what the greatest threat to america is historically we spoke briefly about reagan just there Back in Reagan's, when Reagan was president, you said, what's the biggest threat to America? You would say the Soviet Union, and you would have linked the two of them. Today, you can make an argument it's still Russia. You can make an argument it's China. You can make an argument it's Iran. You can make an argument it's North Korea. You can make an argument it's the left. You know, you can't clearly distinguish what the correct biggest and biggest threat to America is. You also don't ever talk about the, the Constitution being totally destroyed. You know, we, we tend to t focus in on things that are simple. We have a lot of threats. We don't ever talk about the debt being the biggest threat to society because, you know, you may be destroyed by a foreign conflict and you may be destroyed by your constitution, totally worthless and powerless and can't do anything, but they haven't destroyed other nations. The only one thing that's always destroyed a nation is undefeated is a massive inflated debt and your debt's at $30 trillion and approaching $31 trillion as we speak. That's going to come in at some point. I don't know what the point the number is. I'm surprised it's got to this point, to be honest with you. It could be 31, it could be 40, it could be 50, it could be 100. I don't know the number. No one knows the number, but no one ever talks about the debt being a, a massive threat to society. We can't clearly distinguish these are the problems in society and here's the order of importance and get some agreement because it changes from president to president to administration to congress to congress what is freedom's disciple that's my name um and the reason being it's just i love freedom um i stand for freedom i work for freedom but also i'm a christian and i think that the kind of highest earthly title that you can have is as a christian is a disciple of christ or follower of christ and I just kind of put the two things together. So when you're coming up with your work and your show name and different things, you, well, what am I going to call myself or what am I standing for? And I put the two of them together. And I asked a, a good pastor friend of mine, I was like, can I use the word disciple publicly and stuff? You know, it's not disrespectful to, to Christ or anything. He went, no, absolutely. It's an honor. And it, it just sums up who I am or what I strive to be. So this is your podcast, correct? Freedom's Disciple. Yes. Okay. Yes. You can find it on The Blaze. If you look me up on The Blaze, you'll find me.
So I, I do a weekly show for them. I haven't done it for a couple of months. So I've taken a bit of a sabbatical. I've had some uh, mental health issues, and uh, but I'll be back towards the end of the summer. Good, because when I listened to your episode, it was on fire, Jonathan. I hope you do come back. You have a strong voice I will. that you need to use. Do you think we're going in the wrong direction then? Yes. There's lots of people who will answer this question, make it very simple. Well, if you just did this, if you just elected so-and-so, if you just followed these one or two steps, the answer, in my opinion, is it's going to take a lot of, of work. Um, I think it starts small because we tend to think of problems and kind of go look at these big solutions. You know, like even the left do this with climate change. You know, we need government to, to kind of, you know, even if you don't believe in climate change, we need government under these all these grandiose plans. And it's, I always think it's the great thing about America is it's the individual. And it's about how you can change your life. You know, how great story in the Bible about the, the Israelis building a wall for security. And they kind of go, well, you know, we can talk about building this wall. Or if I just build my brick and the bricks outside of my house, and if you do the same, and then so-and-so does the same, then, you know, at the end of the day, you have this beautiful wall. And there's a great story in it. I think where it starts is the individual. And for me, my answer is also going to be biased. And I also admit my biases. I think you need to start telling the story of America again, because... I think a lot of Americans are hurt right now. They're kind of going, it's, is it over? Can we do anything? I think we need to tell those stories and kind of go put it in context of, are we facing bad times? Yes. Should we be kind of wary of what's going to happen in the future? Yes. But we've also, we're Americans. We've overcome worse than this. We'll overcome this if we act. We need to support each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to, to galvanize each other so that it's not so, it's just me taking on the world. It's all of us taking on the world. But then we need to get back to principles. Um, and that's the one thing, the biggest thing I think we can do, get back to constitution, get back to federalism, get back to getting the states to stand up to tap encouraging governors and, and politicians to say, no, not, not in our state. D.C. doesn't have a role in this. This is our job and to, to stay out of it. And then just get back to following constitution, just basic sanity. Biggest thing, if you want to take this, is ha start having discussions again where we actually talk about basic first principles and saying, be open to having um, those conversations again and uh, where we might disagree. Um, and if I may just share a story with you on this, so one of the things I've been doing is studying Lincoln lately, just not anything to do with his politics or the Civil War per se. It's how he must have felt. And I try and visualize how people feel and how they act. And one of the things was after he won re-election in 1864, He's got a mandate because the Civil War wasn't going well the whole time. And he kind of felt he had this mandate and he wants to pass the 13th Amendment. And one of the things he does to this, and this is what I've been reading up, I'm trying to research on and Google stuff, is he had to meet with Democrats that didn't believe Americans who were black were the same as whites. And he actually had to sit in the same room with them and convince them to try and get support for the 13th Amendment. And the reason I'm researching that right now is because I'm fascinated by how he did it, but also the mentality. Because if, if I say to people now, you know, I'm going to sit down with, like imagine I'll use, I would never sit down with this guy because then he would never sit down with me. But imagine I said, I'm going to sit down with Bernie Sanders tomorrow and have a conversation with him. People would be outraged, but why are you sitting down with him? And they, the left would say, why are you sitting down with me? He's, he's a crazy lunatic. He's a racist. He's a Trumper. He's all these different things. And my friends will probably say he's a socialist and a communist and all these different things. But the reason I'm looking at that story is how would he have felt? Bad as Bernie Sanders is, he's a communist and a socialist, but he hasn't actually said you know, anything to the extent of, well, if you're black and you're an American, you're not a human. You're not a full human. Whites are better. But Lincoln had to sit with these people and convince them. And also going into that debate of what he must have felt like going through, okay, what am I going to say to this, this person? This guy doesn't think black Americans are real full humans. I got to have to meet with him. What argument am I going to say or what words am I going to say to this person to can change his mind? And then when he tells me he won't vote with us because these are subhuman people, how am I going to respond? How am I going to react when I hear those words? And I'm just fascinated by that temperament, that by that drive to actually do it and to get the 13th Amendment passed. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now. What will it mean to you one day when you become an American citizen? The achievement of a lifelong dream. Best day of my life. I don't know if you've ever had a, a lifelong dream, um, you know, like since you were a kid. I visualized that day many times in my head and you know, because America is America, you know, you know, the, the nationalization process, you know, I've, I've, I've said the, the Pledge of Allegiance, God knows how many times, um, just 
I, I in the thousands because I go to political meetings and you know when I say it you know you say it at the start of most of the meetings I go to and you take that pledge put your hand over your heart but to actually say it as an American citizen for the first time I think will be I think it will be truly emotional and I can because I know me I can guarantee one thing I'll be crying my eyes out <laughs> that I can pretty much guarantee tears will happen where can we find you on social media um you can find me if you look up freedom's disciple um on twitter or facebook you'll find me i'm not hard to find her if you don't want to look up that up look up jonathan dunn or there's a website which is out of date at the minute but it's getting updated and um, it's freedomsdisciple.com and um, you can find all my work there or if you go to theblaze.com and look under podcasts if you go down scroll down a few lines you'll see freedom's disciple you can't miss it the big american flag is on there is my logo what does america mean to you America America is the best experiment man ever came together to write and to do and to try and achieve. Um, America is the best story apart from Jesus Christ. And America is the best story that a bunch of peasants um, came together and fought the superpower of the day and charted the course to basically inspire a 5,000-year leap. And if you look around at everything you have in your room, America, the idea of America has either achieved it or made a massive impact on everything that you have. I'm just looking at my where I'm doing this interview, my computer, my iPad, my phone, my microphone, my books, my drink, everything I have, my bookshelf, my beds, everything, you know, my uh, the cabinet where I store all my my socks and my T-shirts and stuff. You know, you look at all of that, Edmonton, the, the fan that's going on because I live in Oklahoma and it's hot fan, you know, to keep me cool. Everything. America has played a part in that. It inspired a 5,000-year leap, um, and I think it's more than that, but that's just the same, and it's, it's over a book. You change the world, and as an outsider, I am so thankful for America, the idea. I'm thankful for your military, um, because uh, if, while people are listening to this interview, it, you, know, you may like my accent, you may hate it, you may like what I have to say, you may disagree with it, but can you imagine me giving this same interview in German? The reason I don't have to do that is because of the American military, and I will always salute them. So the, the idea of the country, the people, um, you're the country that went to the moon. Um, that's what America means. America is the best story that I can ever say that man has ever written. But I will say this for anyone who hasn't got hope. You're literally in a bad time right now, but this is not the end of your story. This is a chapter, you know, if you look at all the movies, every this is this is following a Hollywood movie, you know, where the good guy comes and, you know, then you start you start rooting for the good guy. That's America. And then the bad guy is looking in the ascendancy and the bad guy is looking like, oh, the bad guy could actually win this. The God, he's got him on the ropes. He's it's looking good. This is not the end of the story. We're approaching the end of our chapter. But then what's going to happen in the next chapter is a great comeback story and we are going to overcome because the world needs us america needs this and the american people deserve an america that they can be proud of and we need to pass it on to our kids and our grandkids this is not the end this is just merely the intermission and we're approaching the great renaissance and i do believe that jonathan what a pleasure it has been to speak with you if only american citizens had your knowledge and your love for this country, I cannot even imagine how different it would be. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Another Fellow Patriot. Be sure to check the show notes for links to this week's guest. For more connection to the podcast, visit www.wethepeopleouramericanstory.com for social media links, patriotic merchandise, and to sign up for the We the People newsletter. And finally, be a voice, a strong voice, a voice for freedom. As Benjamin Franklin so eloquently stated, where liberty dwells, there is my country.